1: Thank you for joining us on EASY's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. Today may be the first time you hear about ICANN Living and Learning Center, an organization that helps adults with disabilities to find employment. And to tell us about it, I'm happy to welcome the founder of ICANN Living and Learning, Debbie Telsey. Thank you for being here. Thank you. What gave you the inspiration to start this particular organization with the focus on finding employment for adults with disabilities?
2: Well, I have a degree in special education, and I've always had a special place in my heart for helping people with disabilities, but I do have a special ed degree. I've worked for many other organizations similar to what I do, and one day I just decided I wanted to do more, and I didn't want to have to go to someone to ask to do more. So I said to my work partner, you know, hey, this is what I want to do. And she said, okay, let's do it. (laughs) So we started, I was scary. I jumped off a cliff and I landed and it's been an amazing adventure. We'll be in business in July, five years.
1: Wow. Congratulations. You're a really comprehensive program at connecting adults with disabilities with employers looking to hire people with disabilities. How do you bring the two together?
2: So let me start with the process so people that have disabilities know what's out there. Um, When you have a disability in the state of Florida, you go to the Department of Vocational Rehab. It's through the Department of Education. And what happens is the state will evaluate you. Once you've been evaluated, they'll evaluate you to see if you are employable. After the testing, it comes out that you are employable. They will assign you a vocational rehab counselor. Then the counselor will give you a list of vendors. We happen to be a vendor of the Department of Vocational Rehab. And so that's the way they come to us. The person, the participant, or the client would say to their counselor from VR, I'd like to work with ICANN Living and Learning Center. So we would get the referral and then the process would begin. We offer pre employment classes to teach people about working and what it's like to be out in the community. And also, we help them with resumes and we help them fill out applications. We help them when they have a job to keep their job for a certain amount of time, but we're there as an advocate. And once we're finished working with them, we're always still there. They could call us and say, I'm having trouble at my job and we'll come in and still assist.
1: Is there a particular age range that most people... Yes,
2: 14 on. I've worked with people up to like 83, but the process begins at 14. And at 14, they can participate in a career camp, which is trying to get them thinking about maybe something they'd like to do when they graduate high school.
1: There's such a wide range of disabilities. Are there specific kinds of disabilities that you focus on?
2: So um, we work with every disability. Some are very obvious and some you wouldn't even know. I mean, we have people that we work with that have college degrees that may have, could have had a stroke, could have had a nervous breakdown, um, you know, emotional issues to somebody with an intellectual disability, someone who is visually impaired, or we've worked with people that are deaf. We work with every disability, ADHD, learning disabilities, anything.
1: Which is amazing to think that you're able to find employment for people with such a wide range of issues. How do you match the employers to the specific employee to make sure it's the right fit?
2: Oh, first of all, when they're tested through vocational rehab, they come to us with a goal. And we try to place them within their goal. But if we can't find a job within their goal, we'll look at other opportunities. We want to find people jobs where they're going to succeed and that the manager understands what it is to hire somebody with a disability. Also, just to keep in mind, if there's employers out there, when you hire somebody with a disability, you get a tax break for hiring somebody. And when you hire somebody with a disability, I would say 90% of the time, these people, they're not looking for their next job. They just want a, a home, a place to go, work hard and succeed. And we help. Little is problem. You know, we tell the employers and the employees, call me, let's resolve a little problem before it becomes a big
1: problem. What do you tell the employers? What are the benefits of working with someone with disabilities?
2: The benefits are that you change somebody's life. And we place people where they're going to succeed. But what's most important also is to let employers know, you know, we just want a chance. Actually, I name my dog who's a therapy dog, Chance, Aww. because we're asking, and he's a seventy-pound um, labradoodle who's Aww. been trained, and he comes on job interviews. But I tell them, look, we're asking for a chance. If it doesn't work out, it's just like anyone else. But we try our best to work through the problems.
1: And how do you see the changes in the people who are employed? From the time they begin to, say, a few months or six months down the road and the kind of self-esteem it helps build in them.
2: It's just amazing. I mean, I've had clients that maybe had schizophrenia. The mother couldn't get them to shower, can't get them motivated. But when they have to go to work, they jump in the shower. They feel a part of a company. They feel a part of a team. And, it you know, it really... So working, I know what it does for me, self-esteem and working as a team and being involved, little as it may be, you know, a job that you or I would do, we would say, oh, I wouldn't want to do that over and over again. But a lot of our clients love repetitive work.
1: Right. It's um, something they can focus on that makes them feel capable, has to be good. Well, and also
2: it, it helps the view. Of the employees of uh, also, like we had a young lady that was deaf. She had had cancer. She had a colostomy bag. She hadn't oh. worked in years. And a pizza parlor hired her, and she was doing the boxes. She taught the staff sign language. They loved
1: her. Wow, wow. So it works all ways. Everybody benefits. Yes, Employers and, and get a
2: great employer, employee. And also, you change somebody's life. You get a tax break. But these people change the lives
1: of the people around them. Right. That's got to open them up to uh, things that they hadn't believed were possible. It's definitely a benefit for them as well. If someone wants to come to you, I know they have to go through the vocational system, and they want to request you. How do they do that? Is there a they web- would
2: just tell their counselor that they'd like to work with I Can Living and Learning Center, and I'm a job coach, and I have seven other job coaches. We work from Miami up to Fort Pierce.
1: Wow. OK. And we
2: we have we do evaluations. We have a Spanish speaking. We do counseling. We have a mental health therapist with us. We have amazing job coaches with different backgrounds, you know, social service. We, we are bilingual and we all work together as a team. So if you're working with a job coach and it's not working with one, we have other job coaches. We just want everyone to feel good and feel good about what they're doing.
1: It's really remarkable that you're able to cater to so many people with so few people on staff. Are there things that volunteers can do to help you?
2: Well, we could use office work, but really, you know, with HIPAA laws, I really couldn't have a volunteer work with our clients because we follow strict HIPAA laws.
1: Understood. Okay.
2: But um, also, you would think with with COVID, but now with COVID, we have so many jobs. I mean, everyone's hiring, and we have been placing people all over. It's been really remarkable, considering you know it is a pandemic. But it, I got to say something. I do work with heroes because all my job coaches, not one of them said to me when The first thing when it all came out a year ago with COVID, not one of them said, I'm too scared and I'm not working. Each and every one of them went out and continued to get jobs.
1: And how were you able to work around the requirements or the preferences for masking and keeping social distance? Did you have to go to Zoom training? How did you manage? We've
2: done, yes, we've done a lot more Zoom than we did before, but my job coaches still have to take them on interviews. They still meet with them to fill out paperwork. You know, we have an office in Deerfield, but we meet our clients near their home. We meet at Starbucks. We meet at libraries. We don't go into people's homes.
1: You really are on the front lines, much like healthcare workers in a lot of yes, ways. Yes, we are.
2: That's why I consider my job coach heroes because yeah. they are out and you know risking their lives. We take people in our car. We make sure everyone wears a mask. We clean the car. We go on orientations. Um, we also have one of my business partners does the classes. We do pre-employment classes. I have two partners, um, Sandy Quinter and Allison Alberti. Sandy goes out in the community and she works with big companies to get our clients employment.
1: Now, if uh, there's a company listening and they say, yeah, that's a great idea. We could use some employees who can do certain kinds of jobs that we think would work. Do they reach out to you directly from the website or do they call you?
2: Either way would work. They can call me directly or go on our website, whatever works, we're there to help. But, you know, we really try to place people where they're going to succeed. We want the employers to be happy because we appreciate the opportunity and we want our participants to feel good about themselves, you know, and know that if there's a problem, we're there.
1: How has doing this changed you? Like I can hear, I feel like there must be so much joy when you see people reaching their potential.
2: Well, it's funny because last week there's a gentleman by the name of Dylan and we took Dylan and the first job, unfortunately, the employer didn't have more work for him. And I was very upset to tell him. And then another opportunity came and it it, just to see the joy on his mom's face, knowing that her son was, you know, in a good, happy place, place to go. And just to see that was just so fulfilling when you place someone in the right job.
1: And it has to be such a relief for a parent to know that their child or of whatever age, it may be an adult, is mm-hmm. now becoming self-sufficient and they can feel at ease knowing that that child will be able to take care of themselves when they're gone. Mm-hmm.
2: A lot of our clients get social security. So most of our jobs, I would say, are part-time because we don't want people to lose benefits. Okay. So we work with people that most of our people work part-time.
1: Okay. So, you know, all the ins and outs and all oh, the yeah. legalities. Yes. yes, we do.
2: Because okay. we don't want anyone to lose their benefits. But so we do a lot of part-time. Okay. Work. But, you know, we're there to help. Yeah. And, you know, I once said, someone once said to me, thank you so much. I said, I didn't do anything. You went on the interview, you got the job. And he said, no, you kicked the door down to get me Aww. there. So, so that's kind of what we do. And, and the nice thing is, is that we're like a family, The staff. We all work together. So if, if one of my job coaches finds a job and she doesn't have, he or she doesn't have anybody, she'll let it be known to all the job coaches. So we're like really working together and we do networking and we're out in the community. And so... That's basically how it works.
1: You are changing lives and changing our community, and that's really extraordinary. I appreciate it. Let's give the website and your phone number in case an employer hears or there's someone who's going through Department of Vocational Rehab and wants to request you specifically.
2: Also, we do do it privately, but I would definitely try to get with VR. It's the Florida Department of Vocational Rehabilitation. And if they want to call me and I can tell them which office they should call, it's near where you live.
1: Let's stick with your website and your phone number. Easiest ways to reach you.
2: Okay. My website is www.ican, which is I-C-A-N, F like Frank, L like Larry, dot .org. And I'll repeat myself. It's www.ican.ican can. F like Frank, L like Larry.org. And my phone number is 561-715-4379. I'll repeat my phone number, 561-715-4379. And if anyone has questions, concerns, I would love to help in any way I can.
1: Okay. Well, it will be my pleasure to have your phone ringing nonstop. Yeah, Um. that
2: would be great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Debbie Telsey, president, founder of the ICANN Living and Learning Center, although, you know, the office is in Deerfield Beach. I'm amazed you cover, was it the Quad County area, you said?
2: Yes, we go from Miami to Fort Pierce.
1: Impressive. And I am sure there are many people who have folks working for them and many people with disabilities who are working, who are very grateful for the work that you do. So thank you. Again, ICANFL.org or 561-715-4379. Debbie Telsey, thanks so much. Thank you so much. We have now passed the one-year mark since COVID-19 was declared a global pandemic we're over half a million deaths one year later. We now have, thankfully, more than 100 million adults vaccinated. Pfizer has now begun vaccine trials on children. And with all of the changes in the past year, our friends at Pediatric Associates have taken the time to do a study of patient trends over the year. I am delighted to welcome board-certified pediatrician from Pediatric Associates, Dr. Mona Amin, to break down the results of the study. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you, Ellen, for having me. Like you said, this is such an important topic to discuss, and I'm just so happy to join you today.
1: This study you did is with Pediatric Associates patients
0: Yeah, so you're right on that. We in this pandemic are focused on this virus, which I think is important, right? We don't want people to suffer from this virus, die from this virus. But what we looked at is not the actual virus, the results of living in a global pandemic, what that meant for our children. So there were some good things. There were some not so good things. The things that we were looking at that were good with all of the social distancing that families were doing, kids being at home more, doing e-learning, not being around other children as much, flu diagnoses has gone down. And this is something that we've seen throughout the country and throughout the world, that the cases of flu have gone down. But at Pediatric Associates, they looked at the number of flu diagnoses and it went down 99% when comparing 2020 to 2021. So basically looking at the year prior, so In the pandemic year, we saw a 99% decrease of flu diagnoses. How do we look at this? You know, when we code our patients in our office, we put coding for the visits. And so we were able to go back and do a mass search as to how many people were coded for flu as a diagnosis. Also, how many flu tests were done? 17,605 flu tests were done in 2019 compared to just four in 2020.
1: That's amazing.
0: You know, parents often ask, like, is it because people aren't coming in? No, it's just that we're not seeing these cases happen.
1: I wonder how much of it is because we were already doing things like social distancing and wearing masks to prevent COVID. Mm -hmm. And those are the same things that will prevent the flu.
0: Right. So a few things that helped, right? We talked about that exactly. Hand washing, the social distancing, the masking, all of these are going to help a respiratory virus, right? Also, the lack of travel. When you travel, you are going to move that flu virus around the world. But when you're not traveling, that flu has nowhere to go. You can't move that virus around. So that was a huge component. The fact that we were just not traveling nearly as much as we used to pre-pandemic. You're not moving around a virus as much anymore. I mean, this is amazing for pediatricians. You know, COVID is affecting so many families and so many of our elderly population. But when we look at viruses, COVID in general is not as harmful to children as the flu. We obviously don't want children to get it. We don't know the long-term implications of COVID. But when you just look at data, kids do have good outcomes short-term related to COVID. Whereas with flu, we see a lot more hospitalizations for children. So this is something that I look at as a good that, wow, for once, there's a virus that we're not seeing as much of in the child
1: population. Also, how much is the fact that kids were staying at home? Mm -hmm. You know, schools are like a little Petri dish of, of flu. And of course, for those who might hear these numbers and say, well, all the more reason that the kids should be in school because COVID isn't going to affect them. I just want to remind them that kids can be asymptomatic and still carry it. And teachers are adults who can get COVID-19 from a child, and they can have serious repercussions. So that's one of them.
0: And not to mention all of the classmates of children who may be considered higher risk, Right. We know that generally speaking, the overall healthy child has a great chance of fighting this virus. But we do know that children do get sick from this virus. Right. We do see hospitalizations. We do see some deaths. And yes, the numbers, when you look at rates and ratios, may not be a lot, but it's still lives. Right. It's still children that are affected, still families that are affected. So our goal here, like you said, is to. Keep as many kids safe as possible, and that means maybe doing more e-learning until more teachers can get vaccinated, more protocols in schools to make sure that we can keep our kids safe. Because even if they're low risk themselves, we don't want them to spread this to someone who may be higher risk.
1: Let's say we're looking two, three years down the road, and let's say the pandemic is under control, the vaccines have worked, who knows if we're going to need a booster shot every year, but let's say it's under control. Will this affect the need for flu vaccines every year and would it be wise then for us to continue doing things like masking and social distancing during flu season regardless of COVID-19?
0: So to answer your question about vaccination, absolutely, we're going to still need to do flu vaccines. I mean, that was actually one of the other reasons why we probably saw a decrease in flu cases nationwide and worldwide is that more people were actually vaccinating their children this year and themselves as well. Just because of the pandemic in general, we did see increases in flu vaccination rates across the country. So we definitely want to continue that vaccination because COVID and flu are completely different viruses. This flu, it may not be active now, but remember, it can be active once people are out and about. So I am concerned about next season. One of the things I want to remind people listening is that when they create a flu vaccine, they look at the season prior to kind of guide their decision on what strains they feel like may be more popular. But if we're having a mild flu season, it can make it really hard to make an effective flu vaccine, meaning knowing what strains are out there. So as much as this flu vaccine is going to be important, I'm going to be concerned, well, how bad is this flu season going to be when things open up next year, when Mm -hmm. people are out and about? So it's really important that we still vaccinate because that's going to give more protection than not doing anything at all. And then in terms of our children, we obviously, in terms of schooling and whatnot, we want to get them back into school, but we want to be doing it as safe as possible. Yes, them being home had a huge effect on why we saw this reduction, masking and, you know, not being around each other, like you said, like a Petri dish. In terms of needing to wear masks and social distance in the future, I don't think it's going to be a requirement. I think people will have different levels of comfort. I, for one, have always been pro-mask during viral season in my office. I would hope that when people are sick, they would use this pandemic as a way of saying, you know what, I'm not feeling great, but I still have to go about my daily life. I'm going to wear a mask because I'm not feeling good. It's something that we may see more of because a lot of other countries, especially countries in Asia, they have been wearing masks during virus season and not even in virus season for years. And we can learn a lot from those countries because they have seen lower incidence of viruses, of COVID. So I think this is something that's really going to change the way we approach public health. And maybe people will make their decisions for themselves on how they want to approach every flu season.
1: Well, I think now that we've seen that it is effective, I think there's not the same stigma attached to wearing a mask that there was initially. Absolutely. But then when you talk about the kids being home from school, and that has helped stop the spread of the flu and, of course, COVID-19, there's a downside to that, that they've been affected because of the lack of social interaction. What did your study show there?
0: Yeah. And this is something very big. So largely attributed mostly to the social isolation, the canceled recreational sports and activities, and just an overall change in lifestyle. We saw in our offices a increase to psychologists. So a referral increase of about 25%. So again, we're looking at data from the year prior on referrals that we make as clinicians for our patients. And there was an increase of 25%. This is between January to March of 2021 compared to january to march of 2020 so looking at just a few months but still it's a very it's just a pinpoint showing that increase if we were to extrapolate that to the whole year last year i'm sure that would be even higher Um, especially at the peak of the pandemic when children were isolated for the summer you know this figure actually is not as accurate as i would hope because a lot of families didn't seek care from their child's clinician right They suffered in silence or they just thought that maybe we'll just get through it when maybe their child needed help from a psychologist or a therapist. So I think in reality, this number is probably much higher. I see it just amongst my community, amongst my patients that I talk to, maybe even ones that I'm not doing an official referral for. I'm spending a lot of time with that family talking about the mental health concerns that are happening for the parent, for the child, for a sibling. You know, I mean, this is heavy stuff happening. And like I said, yes, the flu cases have gone down. People are not getting sick as much in terms of children not being together. But isolation and not being able to do your normal activities has a huge effect on our health. And mental health is a huge component of our overall well-being.
1: I wonder about the kids who have lost someone in their family or uh, a child who was maybe asymptomatic and they were the one who spread it, the kind of guilt. It's not their fault. They didn't know.
0: I mean, thinking about the loss that occurs of a family member, I mean, we've lost over 500,000 lives in America alone, right? And that number continues to go up. Obviously, it's going down in a lesser rate now because of vaccination, thank God. But yeah, the loss, the fact that they just can't do the activities that they normally do. And think about it from our perspective as adults. We also were struggling in this pandemic. So how can we expect our children to not struggle during this? I mean, so many parents lost their jobs, right? So a child is now having to deal with a family member, loved one, losing their job, not having food on the table. I mean, we're not talking about the struggles that children had to go through, especially families in our community, right? Families that come to pediatric associates, families that are neighbors. We just don't know the reality that's going on and the struggles that are going on in these people's lives.
1: I'm sure there are many families. First of all, we know there's a stigma attached to getting mental health assistance. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that seeing mass amounts of people being affected will help remove some of that stigma, but there are families who can't afford it. Are there places that you can refer families to that will work on a sliding scale or are free?
0: We have resources through Pediatric Associates. I know we have a very close relationship with Chrysalis Health. It's an organization in Florida in multiple locations that offers counseling and really makes it affordable for all families in regards to therapy and further um, evaluation. So there are options. And the first step is to talk to your child's clinician. It's really hard. You're right. There is a lot of stigma still, even for adults. So how can we be helpful to our children if we have a stigma for our peers and for ourselves. But my advice is knowing that, hey, if you're concerned about your child, if your child is expressing concern, the best thing we can do is at least have a conversation, get the ball rolling, talk about what we can do maybe before seeing a therapist, right? It's not always that we have to go that route, but it's a great tool in our tool belt. I mean, this is something that saves lives. We don't have data that we've reported on suicides, but we know that this has increased this year. We know how hard it's been for so much of our community, and we don't want that for our families. We want our children to thrive emotionally, physically, and mentally.
1: Do we have any idea what the long-term effects are going to be emotionally for those who've been through this? I mean, that's everybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it really has a lot to do with how that person approaches a hard situation, right? And that's why I'm so pro therapy and that's why I'm so pro talking about the difficulties. I think when we start to brush things under the rug or say, well everyone's going through it, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. So, when you validate yourself and say, hey, this is actually really hard right now. I just want someone to hear me out. You're more likely to get help, right? Because you're feeling heard. You're feeling like I can do something about this. So those people I'm not as worried about because they're going to have that resiliency to say, I know things weren't right. I know I needed help. Maybe it was just for a month. Maybe it was just six weeks, but I'm feeling better now just being able to talk about how hard it is not seeing my friends, not going to prom, not having a graduation, whatever it is. you know. In terms of that long-term implications, it really will depend on that short-term resiliency that we can create for families. And that is why... I say this. It's so important that we are pro-mental health. It's so important that we don't shame families for wanting to get help. And we really say, hey, this is something really important and your mental health is equally as important as your health for not getting COVID. It is so important that we equate both of them because we focus so much on not getting COVID, which is absolutely valid, but we need to also remember what isolation does for the human brain. We're human beings, you know, we want to see other people. And when we can't, we have to think of other ways to improvise in a pandemic.
1: Then there's also, of course, the lack of physical activity that's taken its... I mean, we we joke about the quarantine 15.
0: You know, I have had many conversations in the last six months of how this has been such an issue. And physical activity is not only important for the physical health, but like I said, it's also important for mental health. So they're all interconnected. But what we looked at here is that... Based on that same time frame, the three months of this year compared to last year, when um, right before the pandemic began, we saw an increase of 39% in obesity diagnoses. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something again that we document and. This is a reality here. I mean, I myself, without the data, without the numbers that I'm mentioning to you, I have had way more conversations about it. And it doesn't come from a place of shaming or guilting because we have to understand, you know, the stress that people are going through. But it's just a conversation like mental health about, hey, what can we do small changes wise to make this not escalate into 15 pounds every year? Right, twenty pounds every year. That's what we're looking for as pediatricians. We're not going to tell you, "We'll do this tomorrow." You need to lose weight. It's what can we do to create small changes now and build on those changes so that we can get back to a healthy lifestyle. It's all about the lifestyle. We eat better, we sleep better, we eat better, we feel better, we eat better. We're not going to be as emotional, and it's just all connected. And it's really important that we do that. And also, the lack of physical activity is there too. That in the pandemic, everyone was indoors. In Florida, I remind my families how. Great grateful we are to have the outdoor space. So whether it's going for a walk as a family, taking 20 minutes away from devices to just be outside or doing a video in your home if you can't go outside because of weather or whatever, it's just so important to move your bodies. And then the fact that we're home, we eat a lot more. That's just how it goes. Really being mindful of, okay, Healthier snacking, portion control, how we approach food and how we approach exercise. It's a huge conversation because we're not looking for weight loss. Our goal here is long term lifestyle modification. So we want to create a healthy relationship with food. We want to create a healthy lifestyle with exercise, not for the number on the scale, but because that's good for our bodies. That's good for our heart. That's good for our overall well being. So I want the children to be looking at healthy foods and vegetables and fruits and exercise as this is something that's going to help me and my loved ones. Live a long life.
1: Are you going to continue to do these comparisons as time progresses so we can get updates? on how things evolved and changed over the course of the year?
0: Absolutely. I think there's other things that we'll probably add as well, things that we can compare, maybe, again, diagnoses of depression, hospitalizations for suicide attempts. This is all going to be stuff that we really need to know and really can just help get out there. The stuff about the pandemic that we're not talking about, it is so vital that we are taking precautions. It is so vital that we are masking and socially distancing, but we can't forget what it does to our children. You know, we have to be able to recognize that so that we can get them the help they need. I'm hopeful for next year. I know this year it's really hard to say, but next year we're feeling optimistic with more adults getting vaccinated. Eventually children will get vaccinated as well. This is gonna be something that we are going to get back to that life we once knew. Yes, we may start to wear masks more. Yes, we may wash our hands more. These are all things that I hope remain. I hope that we're more vigilant after the pandemic is over so we can help reduce the spread of other illnesses too.
1: Right. If someone is interested in learning more about this or just wants to come and see someone... Pediatric Associates. What's the best way to reach out? Website, phone number?
0: Absolutely. We are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You can visit our website at pediatricassociates.com. We offer telehealth visits, we offer in person visits, and we have a nursing line available. We have so many ways for families to stay connected. You can create a continuity with one clinician, you can talk with many different ones to get different opinions. It's a great practice with many locations. So you're not alone. Your child is not alone. We're here for you.
1: Well, I appreciate so much you taking the time. Of course. Again, it's pediatricassociates.com. You can find whatever location is nearest to you. Dr. Mona Amin, board-certified pediatrician with Pediatric Associates. I thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you again for having me.
1: And thank you for listening this morning. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen at easy93.com. Join me again next Sunday morning at 6.50 for a new episode of Easy's Community Focus. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's a l l b i r d dot code SUPER24.